What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. How about that MLB All-Star Game, everybody? The National League, for the first time since 2012, claiming the victory, Elias Diaz, the Rockies representative with a two-run home run, helping to lift the NL in a 3-2 win. We got some drama there at the end. Craig Kimbrell on for the save. Julio Rodriguez in his home ballparking, an opportunity to maybe win the game for his side. Sheer cowardice, of course, from Kimbrell to walk him. Not allow for that moment to take place. You got to at least feed him a pitch. If I'm if I'm Julio, I just stay in the box and say, no, 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 keep, keep throwing me pitches until we get something here. Would have been cool to see him have an opportunity to swing. That first breaking ball from Kimbrell was nasty, and Julio swung right over top of it. And I think right after that is when Kimbrell threw him the cookie. 94 middle middle but I think Julio was looking breaking ball at that point and saying I don't want to I'm going to have to train my eye beyond this pitch if he throws it again because I got to be able to know and I think he let the best pitch he was going to see go by him but he ends up drawing the walk ultimately the final out Kimbrel striking out Jose Ramirez on a high heater a little bit anticlimactic but I think we got a pretty fun ending there got at least an opportunity for some drama in the ninth inning and the National League breaks the streak, so that's kind of fun to see as well. If you're a Cardinals fan, maybe that was your rooting interest. I think most people that were tuned in toward the end there were probably just rooting for a tie game so that they could see the potential home run derby to walk it off. That's the new rule. We haven't seen it yet in the All-Star game, but it would be fun, and I think eventually it's going to happen. Just wasn't quite meant to be this year, but good for the NL to break the streak. Been a long time. I was just graduated high school in 2012 when the NL last won an All-Star game, so it's uh, been a hot minute to say the least. But not going to spend too much time on the All-Star Game breakdown on tonight's episode of B-Shape Daily. Do want to use it, though, as a jumping-off point to talk about maybe a little bit of a sore subject for Cardinals fans, but one that I realize everybody's so familiar with. But I want to break it down on a more detailed level and kind of dive into the psychology of what I think took place in some regard when it comes to, over the years, the Cardinals' inability to retain the top talent that ends up going somewhere else and shining with their new clubs, in particular when it comes to the outfield. Like, we know what's gone on with the pitching, and that was a little bit on display on Tuesday with Zach Gallen starting the game for the National League and doing a nice job in a scoreless first inning. But I want to spend more time on the outfield situation because I think that's that's the one that definitely stood out from Tuesday night. And even Monday night when it was the home run derby at Alice Garcia, Randy Rosarena, matching up Mono and Mono in the first round of the Derby. And then tonight, both of them in the top of the first inning with highlight, highlight real plays. Catches up against the wall, showing off the athleticism. Made it the cover photo here for the uh, for the YouTube video. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, appreciate you, but go ahead and check it out, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well while you're there. And if you're listening right now on YouTube, make sure to comment below with your thoughts on the All-Star Game and on how the Cardinals ended up in this predicament where they're watching two former outfielders man the corners for the American League side and make dazzling catches in the first inning. Rosarena also had a base hit. Did get thrown out by another guy who maybe should have been a Cardinal, Sean Murphy, in the first inning. with uh, Had the base hit and then tried to steal second base. The tag applied directly to Rosarena's face. Could not have been very comfortable. But Sean Murphy throwing him out, that's another one that uh, maybe got away. We know the Cardinals and Athletics were engaged on trade talks in this offseason before ultimately the Cardinals went the route of Wilson Contreras and the Braves said, sure, we'll take the gold glove catcher with the uh, 1,000 OPS, which is basically where Sean Murphy is right now, halfway through 
his first season at Atlanta. But tonight I want to trace it back a little bit and talk about the Cardinals outfield, the oral history of how they ended up in this situation, letting guys go that would have been very valuable to this current team, and then maybe backing certain players that have not panned out. And whether it's a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of bad evaluation, a little bit of fear of the unknown and of trying to rectify past mistakes by refusing to engage in the same behavior that created those mistakes in the first place. I think it's a lot going on, and it delves into the psychology a little bit of John Bozalak as sort of the captain of this ship for the St. Louis Cardinals for all these years had some missteps, obviously, to this point. And I think you could make a compelling case that one had sort of led into the next, led into the next, led into the next, to where on their own, it's like, well, these things happen. A miss here and there in evaluation might happen by an organization, by an executive, by a front office. But it's interesting to kind of connect the thread, I feel like, and see how maybe the domino effect took place when it comes to specifically the Cardinals outfield and how they just have not been able to field the above average, the elite group that it seems like with all the good talent that has come through here, they should have been able to retain enough to not still be having questions, I think, in 2023 about their starting outfield. And it seems like it was the same thing coming into this year that it was six, seven years ago. You got five or six outfielders. Who are the three that you're going to use on a daily basis? And are you choosing the right guys on a daily basis? This is something that we really talked a lot about going back to spring training. It kind of presented it as, oh, it's a positive thing, all this competition, which, sure, I could see that angle of it. But then the season began to unfold, and the Cardinals had to put their chips on certain players. And we've seen kind of the revolving door You have infielders then moving to the outfield. You have outfielders getting injured, outfielders underperforming, all of these sorts of things taking place. It's not to bemoan and say the current Cardinals outfield crop is terrible. I don't think that's the case. I think they've got some good talent to work with, but it's just been a matter of getting it all to work in cohesion at the same time to be able to field an athletic, good hitting, good defending, good base running, good outfield from left to right. And I still feel like the Cardinals are searching a little bit to find the answer to blend it all together and be exactly where they want to be with the outfield group that they have. But before we get into the nitty-gritty where I take you back all the way to, I'm thinking December 2016, I want to ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Do my writing for KMOV, covering the Cardinals. Have been doing so since 2016, in fact. And then just created this YouTube channel at the beginning of this MLB season where we've been talking Cardinals baseball pretty much on a daily basis. So it's been a lot of fun. We've had some live streams. We will continue to have more of those, maybe even some watch parties as MLB games go along. We'll see. But appreciate you guys who have joined me so far. Would love to welcome you in to the daily Cardinals content here on the YouTube channel. And comment below with the kind of content that you would like to see on the channel moving forward, always striving to meet the needs and expectations and hopes and wants and dreams of the folks watching and listening out there in Cardinals land. So thank you guys for being with me. Make sure you follow the show, Be Shafe Daily, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Rate and review over there. And to take your support of the channel to the next level, check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 if you'd like to support me in that way. So let's get right into it, and I'll take you back to December 2016. And in fact, even before I do that, we'll go back a little further just to acknowledge what I, I think would come up from some Cardinals fans and they would say, actually, it goes back even further than that. And I'll acknowledge it and not spend much time on it. But yes, as heartbreaking as it was, the passing of Oscar Tavares, who was a 
big-time Cardinals outfield prospect who only barely got a chance to scratch the surface of his MLB career before uh, his unfortunate passing. A lot of Cardinals fans would say, well, that's really where it began. The Cardinals just couldn't figure out how to fill the void that they expected OT uh, to be in their outfield for years and years, and I agree with that. But because of the nature of that situation, it very much goes beyond baseball. It doesn't make me too comfortable to kind of dissect and think about the baseball implications of that, and it has been now uh, a long time to where the butterfly effect, we really don't know uh, how that would have impacted things nine years later. But I did want to just bring that up because I know it's something that when I have this conversation often, Cardinals fans do touch on that. And they also mentioned Jason Hayward, the fact that he was traded for thereafter by the Cardinals, didn't end up wanting to stay around in St. Louis after the 2015 season, and then, of course, joins the Chicago Cubs, was concerned about the Cardinals' aging core. All those comments were made. Hayward goes to Chicago, ends up not really being a great piece for them, but does enough in order to win a world championship, makes a nice speech during a rain delay. The rest is history. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And the Cardinals, I think, ever since, which is not to say, by the way, that Jason Hayward was this great player for the Cardinals. He had a nice season, but it wasn't it wasn't like the one that got away, I don't think, when it came to Jason Hayward. But ever since then, they've been trying to fill that outfield, and it seems like at least on an annual basis, you've got one, maybe two spots that you don't feel 100% certain about, and the Cardinals have been throwing at the dartboard blind, basically, wearing the blindfold and just trying. It's the way it feels that they just haven't been able to hone in on exactly the way they need to fill out the outfield. And they've made attempts, and we're going to talk about those attempts here. And it began to me in 2016, going into that offseason before the 2017 season, where the Cardinals basically said, we're going to add to the outfield. We know that we've got a hole in the outfield, and we want to try and address that. I remember thinking at the time, this was the first season I had covered the Cardinals was 2016. Started with 590 The Fan, and then toward the very end of that season, I jumped on with KMOV. I remember thinking back then, Adam Eaton was the guy for the Cardinals going into that offseason. Was on the trade block, rumored to be on the trade block from the Chicago White Sox. And he ends up getting moved in that offseason to the Washington Nationals. And right the moment that the trade was reported and, and the news dropped and everybody knew what the return was, it was like, okay, very clearly this was an exorbitant price that makes sense the Cardinals didn't match it or try to exceed it with some of the young pitching talent that they had at the time. Who knows the way that it would have panned out with some of the different names that may have been demanded from the White Sox if the Cardinals had entertained beating the offer. But it was like Lucas Giolito, who's still with Chicago, obviously. Reynaldo Lopez was another guy, flamed out as a starter, but was a ranked prospect at the time and ended up landing in their bullpen. Cardinals just saw him this last weekend as well on the south side of Chicago. So that was a couple of headliners in that deal. And then I think there were some other pieces thrown in. I don't know who it would have been at the time to have the Cardinals match or exceed it, but I just remember with the way we felt about the players back then, you know, seven years ago, it was like, all right, makes sense the Cardinals did not jump in to the market on Adam Eaton. They thought, I think, as of November 1st that they wanted him, but by December 8th or 9th or whatever it was, it was, okay, yeah, this this was not meant to be. However, 
passing on that deal wasn't the problem. The problem was the fact that the Cardinals had sort of made this commitment to we're going to get an outfielder and we're going to make an upgrade, and they jumped in on Dexter Fowler a couple of weeks later, whenever that was, later on that month. And the contract, $84 million or whatever it ended up being, wasn't groundbreaking, but it was sort of for the Cardinals at the time. I think it ended up being the largest free agent contract that they had ever handed out to a player not with the team previously. And then Wilson Contreras at $87.5 million just broke that record this past offseason. So two guys going from the Cubs to the Cardinals end up being those large free agent deals. And other than like Mike Leake at $80 million, that's basically all we've ever really seen in that territory for the St. Louis Cardinals for players that had never played for the team and they're coming in as a free agent. And the Mike Leake deal, like I said, we're not going to talk too much about pitching, but that was another example of, I think that was the same offseason they missed on David Price. Thought they were going to get him, didn't get him. Good thing they didn't get him. That contract did not end up panning out for the Red Sox. But Mike Leake was kind of the fallback option. So even outside of this outfield situation, John Moselak has shown the capacity to miss on a target and then go, well, got to get somebody. Let's overpay for for average. That's kind of what they did when it came to Dexter Fowler. Dex had some good seasons with the Cardinals. He had one really, really bad season with the Cardinals. Ultimately, I think the, the grade on that contract signing in general and his tenure probably more unfavorable in the minds of Cardinals fans than Dexter Fowler deserves, but it wasn't a great deal. C minus, you know, I think is, is maybe a, a fair way to characterize it. He, he didn't kill you. He had, I mean, that first year he showed a lot of power. You thought he was going to be more of your leadoff guy, but ended up being a guy that had some power when he was with the Cardinals, but really had one really rough season, ended up rebounding a little bit before being traded away to the angels when that took place. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, it was kind of an underwhelming period of time where the Cardinals spent big, or, or at least to their characterization of big in free agency, got Dexter Fowler, and it was kind of underwhelming, ultimately. Next offseason, still felt like they were in that spot where they needed to add offensively, and they had maybe some room for a power-hitting corner outfielder. Dexter Fowler had played center field the prior season, but then I think 2018 was when Tommy Pham came in and was the primary center fielder. Cardinals felt like they could upgrade in the outfield is the bottom line. And they turned to the Miami Marlins who had three outfielders that they were willing to trade in that offseason. Except for at the time, they didn't really say they had three outfielders they were willing to trade. It started with Giancarlo Stanton. This is like the winner of 2017 preceding the 2018 season. Giancarlo Stanton doesn't want to come to St. Louis. The Cardinals get pretty far involved in that situation. It doesn't end up panning out. He won't waive the no trade clause. And so then the Cardinals looking to... I guess, settle for the next best thing. Although, to me, this would have been the guy to target from the very beginning because of the cost-controlled nature of Christian Yelich at the time. That was the dude. I remember back then, I knew that was the dude. That was the dude I wanted for them. I thought it made a lot of sense. The Cardinals, I think, wanted him as well. It always gets very vague, the conversations about the Christian Yelich stuff nowadays. People get upset when it's described in a certain way. But I thought Christian Yelich is the guy that the Cardinals have to hold out for and try and make a deal for. Ultimately, the Marlins at the time said, no, we're not trading Christian Yelich for the same reasons that you want him. We're not trading him. Okay, fine. The Cardinals bought that and said, we'll take the other guy. We'll take the third. We'll, we struck out on the first two. We'll take the third outfielder that you got, who just had a really robust season, hit a bunch of home runs, Marcelo Zuna. And, of course, that trade happens. Cardinals give up Sandy Alcantara, last year's Cy Young, Zach Gallen, probably this year's Cy Young in the National League. He started the All-Star game tonight. 
and then some other dudes. Max Sierra didn't really end up panning out. Uh, Daniel Castano, I believe, was in that deal as well. Another pitcher who reached the big leagues. So it was entirely a bust in terms of what the Cardinals gave up for what they got out of Ozuna. A couple of years of being a clown in the clubhouse, being a clown in left field, hitting some home runs, decent enough cleanup hitter, but it wasn't, it was, I think, underwhelming compared to what you hoped you were getting. I remember when they made the trade too, I was thinking, you know, they these guys, Gallon and Alcantara, they're buried down the depth chart in terms of the prospect rankings for the Cardinals. Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, Luke Weaver, all ranked higher. And so it didn't feel like the Cardinals were giving up two Cy Youngs at the time. It sucks now. I can totally, I mean, Cardinals fans have been harping on this and they're right to do so because it's not the, the people who make prospect rankings on MLB.com or the people who go spend money to sit in the bleachers at Cardinals games. Like, it's not y'all's job to know which pitchers to trade and which ones to keep. It's John Moselak's job. So, even though at the time it was generally consensus that these other pitchers weren't viewed universally as the ones you've got to protect at all costs, that doesn't make it a ton better because the only evaluators' opinions that should matter are the people in the front office, the scouts, the people in the organization that say, no, we shouldn't trade this guy because here's what we see in him to potentially have him launch to the next level. Both Alcantara and Gallon launched to the next level after they left the organization. Marlins actually traded Gallon as well, but they got Jazz Chisholm in exchange. So they're not necessarily hating that deal. He's the face of their franchise in, in many ways and uh, on the cover of MLB The Show this year. So they did okay in terms of the value they got for Zach Gallon. The Cardinals wish they could say the same. But we're approaching this from the outfield angle, and at the time, the Cardinals needed an outfielder. They struck out on Stanton. Marlins claimed they wouldn't move Yelich, and so the Cardinals said, that's fine, we believe you. We will not call that bluff. We will go ahead and strive for Ozuna and basically pay the type of price that even Yelich would have been a bad buy at what the Cardinals ended up giving up. We just didn't know that at the time. But they go for Ozuna, and like I said, he's fine, but he's underwhelming. And by the time he was here for a couple of years, you didn't want him anymore. You didn't necessarily, you weren't looking to resign him. That, I feel like, was pretty universal. And so, a bit of a flame out of a deal that also happened to cost you two guys that if you added them two to the rotation right now, the Cardinals would have one of the best rotations in baseball. Of course, the butterfly effect, everything wouldn't have unfolded the same, but you give me Gallon, Alcantara, Montgomery, Flaherty, and Miles Michaelis, pretty good five pretty darn good five and the Cardinals are probably not in the situation they're in can't play that game I know but since we're doing the revisionist history thing on the show today that would be at least something to to ponder if you're a Cardinals fan of course Adam Wainwright still kind of here like a lot of stuff would have changed so we can't play that game but we played it anyway moving on the reason I bring up these two moments and oh by the way the Marlins obviously did trade Christian Yelich after the Ozuna trade because Yelich was like, well, shoot, I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me somewhere. And the Cardinals division rival got to benefit from Christian Yelich, got an MVP season out of him. The Cardinals got played. It was unfortunate. Yelich MVP would have really helped those teams. And maybe the Cardinals have another world championship or at least got closer to one. If, if it's Yelich instead of Ozuna that you do end up trading for in that deal. So that's unfortunate. The reason I bring those two things up though, is because it kind of signaled the reasons that you've seen maybe John Mozeliak and his front office get gun-shy, get a little hesitant to pull the trigger 
on a big trade that you would consider risky. Like Paul Goldschmidt, there was nothing risky about trading for Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, they gave up Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver. It's like you knew the day the trade was made, like, wow, that's a great price to pay. Even if those guys pan out, you're getting Paul Goldschmidt. There's nothing more proven than that. Same thing with Arenado, and you got money involved in the deal there. It was like a no-brainer at the time. You just knew both of those trades were smashes, slam dunks. But when it's come to the trades or maybe big free agent signings with any degree of risk, it's like the Cardinals have had that intrusive thought in the back of their minds going into the potential to make such a deal. And I think it has gotten them off their game in the front office. I think it has caused that just little lack of certainty, that lack of decisiveness. You can look at examples of it on the trade front. You can certainly find examples when it comes to Sean Murphy not being able to find a way to call some bluffs and negotiate that. Instead, they jump into bed with Wilson Contreras, which again, I like Wilson Contreras, but they willingly left the trade conversations with Oakland, which did end up producing fruit for somebody, just wasn't the Cardinals. And it didn't end up as the high price point that was reported of the Oakland's ask for St. Louis. It ended up being a lot less than that when they traded Sean Murphy in the three-team deal that sent him to Atlanta. So it relates to a fear of missing out. The FOMO of the Cardinals front office is, I think, the biggest thing here. When they set out to do something and then their first option does not pan out, it has almost always historically been that their secondary or tertiary option they go for and it ends up kind of landing with egg on their face. Dexter Fowler wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. That was the secondary option in the offseason behind Adam Eaton, which, by the way, Eaton was so-so. The Nationals won a World Series with him, but he wasn't like the guy on that team necessarily. They probably otherwise regretted giving up Lucas Giolito, who's been a very good starter in the big leagues for those years. But like the first option was the one that they went for and didn't get. Second option was Fowler. Meh. Ozuna was the second or even third option behind Stanton and Yelich. We know how that panned out. So you kind of got a glimpse of what it looks like for the Cardinals to go for something and then have to settle for something. And in both cases, you had an example in free agency, an example in the trade market. didn't work out. Then the Cardinals try to fill it with internal options there for a while. You had Tommy Pham in terms of the outfield. Then he kind of begins to fall off and they trade him. You have all these other outfielders that they've invested in in the years since to try and figure out how to make this happen. No huge additions necessarily in the outfield unless I'm overlooking somebody. It's been a lot of kind of internal carousel to see how they could maybe fill things after the Ozuna departure. And everybody was always a flash in the pan. You saw some good periods from certain guys. I'm thinking about 2018. Tommy Pham was was pretty good. 2019, they played a lot of Jose Martinez in the outfield there. And that was questionable. That was definitely, you know, you knew what he was defensively. He was a nice hitter. But they were trying to, they've been trying to fit some square pegs into round holes. Jairo Munoz played some outfield that uh, middle of that summer. That was a, a failure of Mike Schilt. I know everybody likes to uh, long for Mike Schilt in this season where Ollie Marmel's team isn't doing so well. But the fact that Mike Schilt kept putting Jairo Munoz in the outfield, even just a handful of times that it was, when Randy Rosarena was in the organization, was appalling. I can remember thinking that at the time that it was I was taking crazy pills. But that's kind of where I wanted to lead into because you had the examples of the Cardinals going external and it failing. And then the shoe kind of flips to the other foot. And you've got these internal options that you would think deserve some opportunity, merit consideration. 
and Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarena, and just for whatever reasons, it didn't really happen. It didn't really happen. So let's talk about Adolis Garcia first because it happened first. He was coming up in the Cardinals organization, doing some nice things, but nothing like crazy overwhelming. 2017 between Springfield and Memphis, 817 OPS. That's nice. 2018, they gave him a little bit of an opportunity toward the end of the season in the big leagues, but his minor league numbers, 22 home runs, hit 256, 781 OPS. He slugged 500, so that was notable. If he could draw some walks, that would be something that would project at the next level. But when he came up, you know, just 21 games, kind of playing the bench role in September, 17 plate appearances is all he had. Didn't draw a single walk, didn't hit a home run, struck out seven times. He hit 118 in those 17 at-bats, two for 17. He was used as a pinch runner occasionally as well. You remember one famous example of that in September of 2018 when Adolis Garcia falls around third base, like hits the deck, ends up getting tagged out on what would have otherwise been an easy run scored. Brewers clinched the division as a result of that game directly. And so I think they kind of sour a little bit on Adolis Garcia at that point. But he stays in the organization for a whole additional season. Never gets another call to St. Louis, though. 2019, he plays 132 games. 32 home runs, 96 RBI. You can make the case that he is displaying even better power than he had showed previously. But now it's his age 26 season, and it reminds me of the way the Cardinals viewed Luke and Baker this season, which I'm not saying Luke and Baker is ever going to be a stud in the big leagues, but he's like 26, 27-year-old guy, post-prospect, post-hype, not really expected to do much with the way the Cardinals treat things. Because once you get to 26 years old, it's like, eh, if you haven't done it by now, probably not going to do it. But that neglects to realize the fact that the Cardinals are the team with the opportunity to give them a chance to do it by now, and they've elected not to do so when it comes to Adolis Garcia. Now Luke and Baker. I'm not necessarily as high on, on Baker's ability to do it somewhere else at the big league level. Adolis Garcia, though, you look at him physically imposing, not to say that Baker isn't, but Garcia, athletic, can move around in the outfield, can run, can do a little bit of everything, five-tool player kind of guy. And the Cardinals just kind of let him sit there in 2019 while Jose Martinez was running out into right field for 75 games and Jairo Munoz was playing the outfield for a handful of games. That was happening and they were reluctant to call up Adolis Garcia for another look. So it never was going to happen. It kind of goes back to the same notion of the Gallons and Alcantara's of the world were never going to get a shot in St. Louis to like start 10 games in a row just to see what it looked like because the Cardinals were so hell-bent on not developing at the big league level, and they also just felt they knew better, I think, when it came to these outfielders and say, no, I mean, we saw what that guy looked like. 17 plate appearances was not a suitable sample size, in my opinion, but the Cardinals felt like they knew better. They felt like they saw him in 2018. He's that guy that fell down around third base, right? Ah, screw that guy. We don't really need that guy. And they went other routes in 2019. Same thing kind of happened in that same 2019 season with Randy Rosarena because while Adolis Garcia was in AAA, so was Randy for a good portion of that campaign. But he did end up getting a call later in the season. Randy's numbers at AAA, I'm trying to remember if they were better or worse than what Garcia was putting up. Because Randy was about the same timeline. Oh, yeah, Randy was killing it. I remember this now. Randy was absolutely smoking it, tearing it up in 2019, starting in in Springfield, just absurd numbers, went to AAA, kept doing it. And they're combined here on the baseball reference page from that 2019 season. Randy had 15 home runs, 53 RBIs, 17 stolen bases, although he was caught 12 times. But the OPS of 1,003, 10.03, a 3.44 average, a 4.31 on base, and a 5.71 slug between AA and AAA as a 24-year-old. So that's, I mean, that's still prospect territory. That should have been screaming for opportunity, and it was, and now I'm kind of remembering 
the culture at the time was Cardinals fans online just completely baffled by the fact that the, the guy wasn't getting a chance, that they weren't calling him up, that they weren't playing him when they did call him up. And I was right there with those people. I thought, it's crazy. You're putting Jairo Munoz in the outfield. Put this guy out there and see what he can do. Mike Schultz never really did it. They did call him up toward the end of the season, and he was actually good. Like, that's the difference between Adolis Garcia and Rosarena. Adolis Garcia, bad in a minimal opportunity in 2018, which shouldn't have necessarily been enough to know that he was bad, right? Because obviously he's not. He's in the All-Star game five years later. But then 2019 happens. The Cardinals never really have the need or never really feel like they want to pull the trigger. Well, it's complicated, 40-man roster, all these things, right? We don't really know. We don't we don't really project. And so it just ends up going the way that it goes. They're very reluctant to make the moves because they feel like they know best with the talent that they've got on the roster at the time. I kind of want to look at the 2019 Cardinals to remember it even more painfully as to how they divvied up the outfield playing time. Ozuna was in left, Bader in center, Fowler in right. The other opportunities went to guys like Jose Martinez, who played a fair bit of right field. Tyler O'Neill was kind of breaking onto the scene a little bit, had a decent season with a 723 OPS. Lane Thomas got a little bit of an opportunity and absolutely raked, but it was just uh, 44 plate appearances. And then it was a Rosarena toward the end of the season. And that was kind of the guys that got into the mix on the outfield there. Rosarena was good. Adolis Garcia, not great in 2018, didn't play in 2019 for the big leagues. DFA'd after the season and traded for cash to Texas. And yes, it bears mentioning that ultimately Texas DFA'd him as well before bringing him back. Nobody claimed him on waivers, so it's everybody's fault in MLB. That was a miss on everybody's part, not just the Cardinals. But then they bring him back and the rest is history with what Garcia has done with his chances in the Rangers organization. But Arena was good. I mean, it was a small sample, but he was good in 2019. And then you remember in the playoffs, I think it was, or after one of the clinchers had the Instagram live thing and Mike Schilt cussing up a storm, getting the boys hyped up. Maybe that wasn't supposed to see the light of day. A lot of Cardinals fans say that's the reason Rosarena got traded. I really don't think it was. Call me naive. I don't really think that played a terribly huge role in it. But was it a good tiebreaker? I think maybe so. I think that's fair to say. But at the time, it was like, okay, the Cardinals have to place some some chips on guys, right? It's the same thing that they had to do coming into this season. But at the time, it was, are we going to place some chips on Tyler O'Neill? We're going to keep some chips on Harrison Bader, maybe Lane Thomas, who looked really good in a small sample at 23 years old in that, in that 2019 season. Are we placing the chips on a Rosarena? What, what do we want to do? That was where the Cardinals were at, and they, they kind of had to make a decision. We've got this Dylan Carlson guy who's maybe a year or two away. What's, what's his status going to be? They kind of had to figure these things out. And ultimately, they like Matthew Libertor. They think there's an opportunity to make something happen with him, former first-round pick, good buddy to Nolan Gorman, who they had also drafted. Here's an opportunity to make some noise. Let's make this trade. What I don't really know for sure is whether the Rays looked at that and said, oh, Randy Rosarena, we got to have this guy. That's why we're willing to trade Matthew Libertor just a couple of years after drafting him? Or is it a situation where the Rays were thinking, we need some outfield help and we'll take a Rosarena, we'd take Harrison Bader, we'd take Tyler O'Neill. we just need one of these guys and have them fill a spot in our outfield. I don't know the extent to which that was, and I think anybody can report it and tell you what it was. I don't know if we'll ever truly know exactly the way that went down. I remember asking, or somebody asked John Mosellock, was it a case of the discussion surrounding a Rosarena specifically, or was it a case of like, they wanted an outfielder. And he basically said, I'd have to go back and check my notes on this. And I can't even remember when this question came up, but I remember it happening. 
and he he didn't have anything definitive, but said I'd have to go back and check my notes, but I don't necessarily recall it being like a a hard fast demand that it had to be a Rosarena, which he could have lied and said that's what it was because it would have made him look a lot better. But if I recall correctly, and I know this is kind of speculation because I don't have the source of when he said it. It was like at a winter meetings or one of those kind of deals. But whatever the case was, it didn't seem the way that that conversation went, that it was had to be Randy. That was the Rays' perspective. Now, I've never talked to anybody from the Rays about it, and so they might remember it differently or be able to recall what it was. But I think at the time, the Cardinals and Rays were engaged on looking for Matthew Libertor to the Cardinals. Rays were going to get some outfield help. And they also traded for Jose Martinez in that deal as well. You might recall J-Mart became a Ray, Cafecito, was on Tampa Bay there for a year or two. As part of that deal, he went the other direction. So, of course, it's kind of the deal of, did the Cardinals want to trade a Rosarena? Were they trying to pawn him off in that deal? Or was it the Rays were like, that's the guy that we're honing in on, circling around? If it was a case where it could have been anybody, could have been a Bader, could have been O'Neill, varying degrees of acceptability in the, the eyes of Tampa Bay, but the Cardinals thought, well, we gave this guy a little bit of opportunity, but we, we think these other guys are going to be better bets. Whatever the case ended up being, I think the Instagram Live thing at most was a tiebreaker, but I I don't really think it factors in a whole heck of a lot. There's maybe some definitive answer to that out there if it's been addressed by somebody and I haven't seen it. But I, just diving into the speculation, because I know that's something that comes up when we talk about this topic, I don't think it was the end-all be-all. But it was just one of those things where the Cardinals felt they knew what they had in the other players they were keeping and they wanted to put their chips in on those guys. And for 2021, it peened out with Tyler O'Neill. He had a great 2021 season and was top 10 in the MVP vote. Dylan Carlson, when they when they got him going that 2021 season, had a great year. A little bit of a rocky start in the COVID season of 2020. COVID messed with a lot of this, I think, as well. Because maybe Lane Thomas doesn't have such a terrible 2020 if it's not for COVID. Because he was one of the guys that contracted COVID when the Cardinals had that big old shutdown, which was an absolute nightmare to cover. But he was bad for 2020. Didn't play much because of the COVID issue. And then I think went back on the IL later after he got over COVID just because of like fatigue and things like that. I I might be making that up, but it seems like it happened. And then 2021, when he got back, I mean, he hit 104 for the Cardinals. He was five for 48 and was just absolutely abysmal in the field. Like it looked like he still had COVID. That was the, that was one of the examples that made me think like, oh, this like post COVID haze thing might be kind of real. Because if anybody's got it, Lane Thomas has got it, dude. Like, he did not look right. And he was not that kind of guy. He was always a guy that would bust his butt and give his all and, and was on top of things. And I just remember watching him in 2021 going, that is not correct. Like, that should not be taking place. Lane Thomas made three errors in center field for the Cardinals that year in just 40-some-odd games, which maybe, maybe three doesn't end up uh, – sounding like that much of a number, but his defensive run saved negative two. His total zone fielding rating above average was negative 12. His uh, total zone fielding average runs above average per a full season was negative 39. Like in center field, he just looked completely lost there for the Cardinals that season. And so that was maybe something that impacted things. Maybe that never would have happened if, if COVID didn't happen. Again, we're getting into the butterfly effect, but like the bottom line was didn't work out too great for the Cardinals. Randy Rosarena goes elsewhere. By 2020 playoffs, he's shown out in the World Series then wins the Rookie of the Year in 2021. And the rest is history on that. Time after time, the Cardinals were just betting wrong. When they had to push in chips, they bet wrong. Or time showed them to have bet wrong. Because again, 
maybe not their fault what happened with Lane Thomas. Now, I think he's a couple years beyond that COVID thing. If that ended up being a contributing factor to kind of the fogginess he had that year, they ended up trading him for John Lester. They needed John Lester that year. It worked out okay. But now he's having a really good 2023. Um, they bet on Tyler O'Neill. Didn't work out necessarily, but it did for 2021. But then it was like when they re-upped on that, they had the same decision to make at the beginning of this season, of 2023. And they pushed in their chips on Tyler O'Neill, And not only that, but they did so giving him an opportunity to be the center fielder out of the gate. And to this point in the season, he has not performed. It has been injury riddled and those sorts of things. So like what it boils down to me, the, the hypothesis, the boilerplate of this entire conversation, when the Cardinals commit to needing something in an offseason and then it doesn't go as planned, their pivot ends up being rough. And that has led to then the Cardinals for a couple of years getting gun shy, being a little hesitant, not being sure exactly who to put their chips behind. And then when they make a decision, it's almost like the decision was made for them because well, we know we've got these too many outfielders and the Rays want one of them, so let's just send this guy. Well, of course, the decision's made for them in the moment. It feels like the right thing because, well, we've got all these talented outfielders and then the other guys end up just being kind of average. Like Harrison Bader wasn't a bad player, good defender, but didn't have the upside offensively of a Rosarena and ended up moving in another trade, which was a fine deal. But I think that was necessitated by the fact that Bader wasn't considered a long-term answer. It wasn't going to be a guy that they extended and kept him in St. Louis for a long, long time, they had the opinion that he was more valuable being traded to the Yankees for pitching that they needed. You could look at examples of this up and down the board. Lane Thomas, similar situation, did play well, ended up getting traded. You had these other guys thriving in other organizations, but because the decisions were kind of made for you, it's either that or you backed the wrong horse, or the horse you backed was worth backing but then ended up not panning out, like Lane Thomas a little bit, Tyler O'Neill a little bit. Whatever it is, in a vacuum, each of those decisions, not the end of the world. Like, you're not going to perfectly see the future in every situation. It's very difficult to do. But when every single situation seems to work against the Cardinals, whether it's fate, whether it's their fault, whether it's bad luck, whatever it is, when it happens the number of times that it's happened, it is nauseating, I know, for the fan base. And at a certain point, it's like, you got to get one of these evaluations correct. And the excuse or the reason that it doesn't happen is kind of it doesn't really matter anymore what the reason is. It's just the bottom line result that it didn't go your way ends up being the thing that people remember. And I think at a certain point that ends up being fair because it is a results-oriented business. And you can look at each of the situations and go, well, that's not really fair to blame Mosaic like for that. This happened or that happened. Or, like very true on its head, but you dig deeper and it's like, you know, if it's happened three times, four times, five times, you'd really like to think that it wouldn't continue to take place. So that's the first deal is when they've been boxed into a corner after saying, hey, we're going to do this thing, and the guy they thought they were going to be able to get doesn't end up landing in their lap, they've had to scramble. And then when they don't do that, they have to push their chips in on certain players, and they've either made the wrong decisions or the wrong decisions was made for them, or the wrong result just happened to take place. However you slice it up, that's sort of been the way that it's come down for the Cardinals over these last six, seven years when it comes to their outfield situation. And then you can make the case that they've sort of did the same thing with Yadier Molina's replacement because, again, Contreras was out there in free agency. He was the thing that was the easiest. It made the most sense if it was going to work out because all you got to do is spend money on him. But if he's not the right fit, if there's a better fit for a Sean Murphy, do they know that at the time? Do they know that there's enough of a difference to make it worthwhile to pursue that Murphy trade to the bitter end, even if you so happen to miss out on Wilson Contreras as a result? 
That's not the way the Cardinals felt. They just felt, eh, we got to get somebody, and if it's the second-best guy, that's okay. But their willingness to ultimately go second-best, I think, has cost them in conjunction with having a uh, one too many at a position, whether it's outfield, you've got four or five guys, you've got to narrow it down to the three, and the way they go about doing that is to jettison somebody via trade, which ends up being a sensible enough move because you're not really using them anyway. But every time it seems like the guy that they moves ends up being the guy that they maybe wish they had had after a couple more years past. So it's not fair to just beat down John Mozeliak on each of these, but when it's the body of work and their recent inability to land it in the outfield, it does tend to add up. And so here we go into another trade deadline where John Mozeliak is going to have these types of decisions, I think, to make when it comes to the position players that might end up being considered for trades as they try to restock their rotation. I still say you've got five guys, and it's very possible that one of them gets moved. Brendan Donovan, Lars Newtbar, Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond, and Nolan Gorman, I think, are the five that are young-ish position players, varying degrees of team control, but all have some attractive qualities to other teams where could end up moving one of them for pitching. We talked today on the big show about what that looked like, and maybe we'll throw that up on YouTube for Wednesday. But I really am kind of wondering the way that John Mozeliak and company are going to handle it with all of these past misses, if you will, in mind. Because I do think the past has colored the more recent past when it comes to the Cardinals and these decisions. Because at a certain point when this has happened as often as it has, it's natural for the Cardinals to then question their own internal evaluations of these players that they let get away and then say, are we doing that? Are we going to make the same mistake again with this crop of guys that we have here? We think we know what we think about Donovan and Newt Barr, but maybe we're underestimating Dylan Carlson, or are we? Or are we overestimating a Nolan Gorman, and this might be the right time to trade him because what he's showing, those kinds of inconsistencies, are, are what he is. Or if we do trade him, are we missing out on him figuring it all out and becoming the perennial all-star that we kind of hoped that he would be? Like, There's all these questions that have got to be running through their mind, and I think that's got to make it difficult to know that you've had these past misses whether it's evaluation or maybe it's another thing. Maybe the evaluation part is not the only part of it that we should be focusing on, but it's also the development part. Because in some cases, the Cardinals simply were not getting the best out of these players when they had them, and that could be on the organization as much as anything else. Like if it was beyond just their inability to evaluate that these players have this within them someday to perform at the levels that they have since they've gone elsewhere, but maybe it's what's the reason they're not doing it with us time after time? Are the Cardinals not fostering the environment where these guys are able to consistently thrive there, or is there something else going on? The threat is there for this to have happened a number of times, and I don't know if that bakes into it or not, and if the Cardinals, I know, they're aware of it, but are they aware of it on a level that they feel like they can be actionable toward, hey, here's the reason it's happened, here's how we can fix it, or is it just individual cases, case by case, where, you can't necessarily draw a big picture, a big circle around them and say, hey, this is what has happened and here's how we need to go about it in the future. It's very compelling. I think it's easy from the outside to sit and say, well, here's what they did wrong and they got to make sure they don't do that again rather than know, okay, what is the reason, the underlying reasons that they haven't been able to get the most out of these players when they're with them? Or is it a case of like a Rosarena? It's not that he didn't get the most out of him. It's that they didn't give him enough of a sample size to uh, continue to show what he was doing, which was, an 891 OPS there for a cup of coffee in 2019. Or with Garcia, was it, yeah, he got a cup of coffee, but they didn't give him enough of one, and they were using him off the bench and not giving him a chance to really thrive to show what he could do versus, like, 
guys like Gorman and now Newpar, we, we have seen those guys for a number of plate appearances, a few hundred plate appearances for both those guys to say, hey, what they've done is, is that what they are? Do we think that there's another level to that? If there is, you hang on. But if there's not, and somebody else thinks there might be, is now the time to make a move of one of those guys if somebody else wants to dream on their future? Because I think it's a little bit of a different situation. Like, I'm not in favor of trading Newt Bar necessarily. I'm not in favor of, of moving Nolan Gorman unless you're getting something of value. But it is interesting to say, at least in those cases, the Cardinals have had the sample size to be able to make a judgment call off of compared to they were so comfortable to make those calls about other guys and they the call they made was to let both of them go in various circumstances. So interesting to think about. Let me know what you think about it, Cardinals fans. Sound off in the YouTube comments section below this video or reach out to me at bshafer12 on Twitter. Love to discuss these things and hear the opinions of Cardinals fans on it. YouTube comment section, though, by the way, the best way to be able to do it. I read all the comments, reply to the ones that I certainly can, and uh, make sure to let you know that I'm seeing them, liking your comments and things like that so you guys know I'm engaging with what you're doing. That's what you get from me on this channel and from my content in general. So hope you guys appreciate that and are willing to uh, stick with me by subscribing and checking out my Cardinals content the rest of the way. That, though, is going to do it for this edition of the program. Again, leave those comments below because I feel like there are some elements of this that we maybe didn't cover that maybe slipped my mind in this conversation, but tried to be pretty thorough in the way that we uh, went about it. So let me know what I missed. Let me know what I got right, what I got wrong. Sound off in the comments below, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.